Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. And with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. But first up, as we go to air, the Matildas squad is hot off the presses with no real surprises in Tony Gustafsson's squad. The countdown to the national side send-off match against France is 11 days away and with ticket sales to the ninth Women's World Cup exceeding 1 million. The stage is set for Australia and New Zealand to host what is likely to be the most successful yet to talk about all the build-up and what we can expect and whether both countries are yet fully engaged. Friend of the program and one of this country's foremost big event journalists from the ABC, Tracy Holmes, will join us again. And with less than 40 days till the moment of truth arrives for Australia's first ever Premier League manager, we return to our Celtic man in Glasgow, Kieran Devlin, formerly of The Athletic and now freelancing for his assessment on Ange Post called Glue's likely legacy at Parkhead and also reflect on the departure of a man who is already one of the Socceroos greats, Aaron Moy, as he retires and leaves Celtic Park. A rising star, Marco Tilio, arrives. Edge, it's a bumper show as always, mate. You're not far from coming back home. You must be absolutely pumped that when you get home that a World Cup is about to start. Absolutely. And um, I'm obviously coming home to work at the FIFA Women's World Cup, my eighth World Cup. Uh, that I've worked on, and it's just amazing that it's in Australia. I still, I was talking to someone today that uh, in the office here in Bangkok about uh, you know how excited I was that a FIFA World Cup is coming to Australia. In particular, I'm excited for um, my friends and family who have to listen to me rabbit on about my experiences at a World Cup overseas. They're going to experience what it's like to have a World Cup uh, in their hometown, um, and w- we've been saying it for you know as long as. Uh, we knew the World Cup was coming to Australia, Rob, haven't we? Just that the mm. impact of this event is going to be significant, so mm. much legacy for the sport, and um, it will be the, the sports moment in the, in the sun in our lifetime in Australia. It will be absolutely unbelievable. It'll be uh, those people who enjoyed the AFC Asian Cup in 2015, this will be 100 times bigger. Yeah, and Derek, the- are you... You getting a sense, like I mean, you've been a football man through and through from um, your earliest memories. Um, are you getting that sense uh, that um, that a World Cup's on our doorstep? Yeah, starting to. It felt a bit real, more real when uh, the email came through with the tickets for the game that I'm going to watch. So certainly, my own personal excitement levels uh, had increased. Um, I don't know if it's permeated into every corner of Australia yet. And some people, I'm still talking to people at work who are not even aware there's a tournament going on or didn't realise how close it was. So, look, I'll be interested to see over the next two weeks or so how it builds towards that first game. No, no, it's a good point. And it's one we're going to expand on with Tracy Holmes. And, uh, and I know I want, to, I want to bring it up in stoppage time later on in the week. Uh, but, uh, Willem, you've got all the news at hand because speaking of news, as it's starting to filter into the public place in, in a big way. Today was a real high watermark uh, for for the Matildas, but before then, uh, we've obviously had the, the the stories of Aaron Moy retiring, Marco Tilio turning up at Celtic. Where are you going to start with this, mate? 
Yeah, I was going to start with Aaron Moy and then we'll move on to uh, the Matildas. He has announced his retirement at 32, a back injury ending his career renaissance, I think we can call it, with Celtic and the Socceroos. He had 57 caps for Australia, including playing every minute at the Russia and Qatar World Cups. And at club level, he's remembered as one of the finest players in the histories of both Melbourne City and Huddersfield, where he made the bulk of his 96 Premier League appearances. So, Edge... Could certainly have used him at the Asian Cup in January. I'm sure Arnie would have loved to have had him. But considering where Aaron was at uh, 18 months ago when he was stuck on that deal in China during COVID when no football was being played, uh, his brother passed away at the same time and the rumours were sort of going around that he was considering retiring then. So the fact that he didn't, the fact that we got to see the last 12 months uh, from both a national and a, a club level with the Socceroos going through uh, at Qatar and uh, Celtic as well. I think we can be more than happy with what we got as opposed to maybe pining for uh, for you know a career that went into its mid-30s. Yeah, look, um, uh, you can't say enough positive things about Aaron Moy. I mean, he's a man of very few words. He doesn't say a lot. Um, those of us who've been following the Socceroos for many years, there's not many times when he actually speaks to the media. He's very, very quiet. Um, obviously, um, my big um, story about Aaron Moy was in the lead up to the matches against United Arab Emirates and Peru, the, the playoffs for the World Cup. Um, knowing that Aaron had to break his contract and get out of China was not an easy thing to do. As, as you mentioned, his brother had sadly passed away. And I remember taking our, our tour group to training. And um, I remember after training, um, there were two players that waited until everybody had had an opportunity to speak to them. And they were generous with their time and their words, and they generally loved it. And that was Aaron Moy and Jackson Irvine. And Aaron was simply fantastic. I can remember, um, you know, people in our tour group thanking Aaron for what he's done for Australia and uh, how he was just like, you know, you don't have to thank me. It's it's just what I want to do. And um, he he was super, and we got to see him with him, didn't we? We saw his expertise on full display at... Uh, the World Cup in Qatar, where he was our best player, and uh, he was a superstar to uh, to watch. And yeah, we should we should you know for a moment take time and reflect on things like this because Aaron's had a wonderful career, but he's done a great thing for Australian football, and he's going to be big big shoes to fill in that defensive midfield position. At close quarters, I just couldn't believe that he, along with Irvine and, and Suta, but particularly Moy in the midfield, I couldn't believe that he kept backing up. They were such tight turnarounds at the at the Qatar World Cup and to play four consecutive games and leave it all out there every single time and get us to our, our best or our equal best result uh, was, was extraordinary. So nicely said there, Edge, and I'm going to return to Aaron during stoppage time later in the week and look at a few of the, uh, the final points around his Huddersfield contribution uh, in particular. To the Matildas, Tony Gustafsson has finalised his squad for the World Cup with Kaya Simon making the cut perhaps against expectation. The unlucky six, Larissa Kramer, Emily Gilnick, Chloe Legazzo, Amy Sayer, Remy Simpson, and Jada Wyman. Edge, that means a fifth uh, World Cup selection for Claire Polkinghorne and Lydia Williams, and also Ivy Lewick, who had retired uh, 12 months or so ago. Uh, she is in the squad at the age of 38. Yeah, Ivy's going to be an important one there. She's much loved by the team, but she'll uh, have to play some pretty valuable minutes, I'd expect, in that defensive formation, whether that's as a midfielder or in the heart of defence. But yeah, what about the um, the debutantes? There's some great names that we should celebrate. Claire Hunt, she was the bolter. We always know that there's a bolter in this World Cup um, stuff, and Claire Hunt, she uh, uh, was selected only a few months ago for her first match, and I actually think she's a real chance to be a big part of the team in all the matches, starting at centre-back. Um, Courtney Vine, we've, we've, we've loved to watch her develop, but um, joining those two players, obviously Alex Chidiak, Claire Wheeler, Charlotte Grant, 
and Courtney Nevin and, and, and Kyra Cooney-Cross. So uh, they're all making their debuts at the World Cups alongside the more experienced players. But, yeah, what an exciting time um, for all of those players to be named and, and, and what a time of utter, you know, devastation for the players who just miss out. But as we know, um, uh, Martin Boyle, uh, he didn't make... Uh, although he was named in the squad for the Socceroos going to Qatar, he, he, he was a late withdrawal and Marco Tilio got... To, we got the uh, the call up, so uh, you know we would expect that um, you know with the cloud over Kaya Simon, just whether she's going to get there or not. Uh, I imagine those players that you mentioned, in particular, um, you know the uh, the strikers, um, Emily Gilnick uh, and Larissa Crubber will be probably kept training, and and they you want you don't want to uh, wish misfortune on your colleague. I'm sure they're hoping that they uh, get a late call up. Transfer comings and goings in the UK. Tottenham have signed James Madison from Leicester for £40 million on a five-year deal. Spurs Academy graduate Harry Winks has headed the other direction for about a quarter of the price. Spurs have also signed Italian goalkeeper Guillermo Vaccaro from Empoli and made Dian Kulisevsky's loan move permanent under Ange Postacoglu. Let's have a listen to a little bit of Ange in his first official Tottenham uh, media appearance. I love to win, mate. That's the main thing. You know, and I've done that wherever I have been. So the football is designed to bring success. Alongside that, it's really important to me that you know that there is an, uh, an element of I think most fans and most players want to be associated with, and that is football that, that's exciting, that, that people talk about, not just um, you know the end result, but also the, the manner in which you played your football. And uh, it's really important to me. Um, like I said, a because it, I think it's a way to be successful, but secondly, allows people to grab onto those things that are the most special about our game and those memorable moments. You know, people want to see their team scoring goals, being exciting, uh, not conceding goals, uh, you know, being aggressive in their approach, all these kind of things that, you know, everyone seeks in, in, in their own football teams. Uh, it's kind of what I try and provide. Um, you never get it right uh, in all aspects, but the basis of it will be that we want to be a team that wins things, but ultimately also entertains our fans. Liverpool, Rob, your side have signed 22-year-old Hungarian midfielder Dominic Soboslai on a five-year deal uh, worth £60 million. He comes from RB Leipzig and he's a, a two-time German Cup winner there. Uh, so they are looking, obviously, to refresh that midfield following the departures of uh, Milner, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Cater. And then following that, Derek, I'll uh, come to you on your new favourite side, Tottenham. So, Rob, uh, the, uh, the new generation of Liverpool midfield as Klopp looks to uh, refresh. Yeah, no, it sounds exciting with uh, Cody Gakpo. Darwin Nunes already there. Uh, Mo Salah's still got a, a few miles left in the tank. Um, we see Bobby Firmino leaving uh, Sadio Mane the, the season before. 22 years old. Um, he's uh, he's already played 32 games for Hungary. And, uh, and, and you don't play 32 hung games for Hungary at any level unless you're a quality player, let alone at, um, at the age of, of 22 um, and, and already uh, a good um, you know, three uh, uh, seasons in the, in the starting lineup at RB Leipzig. So, uh, you know, he's uh, the most experienced, expensive uh, football in Hungarian uh, football history. Um, you know, he has had injuries. Um, he, uh, he missed the entire 2021 season, uh, but uh, he, he looks uh, absolutely cherry ripe. And, uh, and Jurgen Klopp uh, is not the kind of player, coach that, um, that, that, in our recent experience, um, has, um, has 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 pulled the wrong rein. So I think we we can expect a lot from Savosla and uh, and hopefully uh, from a Liverpool supporter's point of view, um, he um, he gets them back to that kind of uh, uh, top four form that we uh, we saw uh, over the uh, the past uh, well seasons prior to to the one just gone. 
And Derek, your thoughts on Tottenham, particularly where uh, uh, Madison may or may not slot in? Is he a starting 11 player? Is he maybe, you know, a, a 12 to 15? Oh, no, I think he's a starting player. And at that sort of money, you'd expect him to be starting plenty of games. How he fits into that side, will only time will only tell. We'll, we'll see if um, Harry Kane uh, moves on. But whether he plays as a 10 or whether he plays as a kind of wide forward or if Ange's got some other plan sometimes Ange plays with those sort of double tens as well so maybe he'll play him in that formation with with Son and, and some of the other Kulisevsky some of the other players that they've they've got there but I mean Ange what a what a contrast we'll be talking to um our Celtic uh, correspondent later in the show and you know what he had to spend at Celtic versus you know just chucking around 40 million at Spurs it was just chalk and cheese really so Angel have never had such such resources uh, to spend money. I, I hope he's enjoying it. And I can't believe, Willem, you haven't asked about Rice. Rice, baby! Yes, he's uh, he's making his way to the Gunners. Michael, go on. Yeah, well, he's obviously West Ham's best player who's left, and he's going to make Arsenal a better, better team, isn't he, Derek? Yeah, well, I think um, you can detect a bit of excitement on the... Uh, box-to-box WhatsApp group this week as as these signings were confirmed because Arsenal generally don't sign players like this. You know, it's not like a marquee, you know, England international, young, uh, sought after by Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Manchester City, and Arsenal come out top of the pile. This is not usual for us. So that's why we've been in a little bit of delirium this week. But I, I think he's you know, going to be the player that can help shield that defence. And that, that's what's been lacking for Arsenal for decades. I don't think we've had a proper DM, as I'd call them, since Gilberto Silva left the club. Um, they've tried a few different people, but I think it's exactly what Arsenal need. They, they, were, they were only a few goals off City's goal-scoring record last season, but goals against was one of the killers, particularly towards the end of the season. So to have someone there who can keep things calm and tight at the back provide the shield and obviously progress the play that Arteta wants from that far back down the pitch. It's, it's, just, it's an amazing signing for Arsenal. What a coup. I just wanted to have a quick shout out, Willem, to Japan, who won the AFC Under-17 Asian Cup uh, with a 3-0 win over Korea. Uh, Japan and Korea dominating international underage football to continue to dominate in Asia. They ended Australia's dream of a World Cup berth, uh, that Under-17 cohort. So congratulations to Japan. They are the benchmark. And uh, whatever they're doing, can we find out, please, and employ some of the strategies at Australia because they were super through the entire tournament. Congratulations to Nippon. Uh, they deserve it. Well, they might be thinking the same about us, Edge, considering how uh, some of our gentlemen are impacting their top division, the J-League, in the uh, in the club format. Uh, we'll head there quickly for a bit of Socceroos Essential for the Green and Gold Army. Now is the time to make sure you're on the plane to Qatar come January, so head to ggatravel.com.au and Edge and the team will sort you out. Kevin Muskets, Yokoham, F Marinos have pulled four clear in pursuit of back-to-back J-League titles. Uh, they had a 4-1 win over Shonan Balmari, their sixth on the trot. And this week, they play second place Nagoya Grampus, uh, who Mitch Langerak uh, is a key pillar. So that clashes this Saturday at 7 o'clock. So uh, two old victory teammates and still pretty close friends from uh, from what we're told uh, going head-to-head. And well done as well to Pete Klamovsky, who's two from two uh, with FC Tokyo. They've beaten Nagoya and Kashiwa Raisol in the past fortnight, Rob. So they're up to 11th. Yep, outstanding. I mean, it, um, it's um, great to see in the, um, in the uh, leading 
football uh, league in in Asia that uh, that Australian managers are, are coming through, and hopefully the uh, the lead that Ange's taken will. Uh, set the, the tone for opportunities for them in future. We know we've already seen Kevin Musket uh, uh, have a, uh, a, a brief uh, uh, sojourn with, um, with the Belgian top flight, but, um, but he's, uh, he's got everything together, winning, uh, winning the title. And Pete Klamoski, his reputation um, goes before him. So, no, no, well done, Willem. Um, okay, after the break, we are going to steer the ship in the direction of the Women's World Cup. But it um, it is only two weeks away. It's quite incredible to think that it's it's that close. You just drive anywhere near any of the major sporting precincts, and you're seeing uh, seeing event signs going up. You're seeing the other leagues, the other competitions uh, forced off what uh, are their normal home grounds and playing in in unusual outlets. As the uh, the major uh, rectangular stadiums in this country are being reserved for uh, for the big event to come. So uh, uh, our go to person when we talk uh, the big events is of course Tracy Holmes from the AB. She was at the, uh, the launch of the, the Matilda's new home uh, facility up there in the northern suburbs of Melbourne on the day that the Matilda squad was announced. We're going to talk to Tracy next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, and we are counting down the days like the rest of Australia's passionate football public uh, to the Women's World Cup. Of course, the opening match kicks off in New Zealand. New Zealand, the football ferns, will play Norway, but Australia will be playing the Republic of Ireland in front of uh, more than 80,000 packed into Homebush. And... uh, One of Australia's leading international event journalists, football, sporting, Olympics, you name it, uh, is uh, our next guest. She's uh, a regular on the show and we're always grateful for her time. She's just uh, literally come from uh, the uh, the Matildas Media Day and I talk of no less than our friend from the ABC, Tracy Holmes. How are you, Tracy? I'm so good, Rob, and you always really overdo the intros. <laughs> well, that's, 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 so that's my signature. The, boy, the boys call me uh, the Tracy Holmes fanboy, so I'll, I'll start the fan club. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Tracy, look, we, we always love having a chat to you, and uh, and and you know, uh, my recollections of your earliest career was as uh, I was watching the build up to the Sydney Olympics, and 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 what we're seeing now reminds me of those days but I think the thing that I'm, I'm missing just yet and I know we've discussed this a couple of times both uh, on our show and on your podcast as well is um, is have the general public really engaged with with this and uh, and I, I posed the question to you off there um, that uh, while the diehards are just counting down the days, uh, we've got the AFL, the NRL, the Ashes is getting big stories, Wimbledon starts tonight our time. Um, is it going to take a massive uh, result and, and a big result against the Republic of Ireland for the rest of Australia to, to really uh, realise what's on their doorstep? Look, I think um, that will certainly help. Uh, I just get the sense that after today, when it's really been the first time that the Matildas have been able to sit down and speak to the media and do feature-length interviews, I I think we're going to start seeing uh, a whole lot more of them taking up mainstream media space, Uh, even on the drive right then to the airport. And we just came from the unveiling of the new home of the Matildas uh, out at La Trobe University. 
and I saw coming into the airport, there's a great big sign and being on the ABC, I don't normally talk about, you know, commercial <laughs> sponsorship, but there's a big billboard for advertising the Combank Matildas uh, mm-hmm. and, and photos with Sam Kerr and young girls that are obviously going to look up to Sam and all of the Matildas players. And you just start to feel that their profile is now going to be a daily occurrence and uh, Australia will jump on board. And of course, it'd be great to get off to an incredibly big start in that game against the Republic of Ireland. Um, But even if it isn't, I think the enormity of this event, the fact that it's the third biggest event in the world behind the Olympic Games and the FIFA Men's World Cup is suddenly going to dawn on people. And if I could have a dollar for every relative in the past week that has suddenly woken up to the fact that this thing is happening and asking where they can get tickets or how I can get them for them, (laughs) I'd be a rich person. I wouldn't need to work anymore. So the message is getting there slowly. Yeah, that that uh, it's great to hear from your mouth because um, it's uh, it, it's so fundamental to to what will ultimately be the legacy, and we know, know what uh, uh, what an incredible legacy plan is is uh, is in effect post this event. But but tell us, what's your vibe from just having come from the announcement? Uh, you, you talk uh, about what uh, your response to that question around the Australian public, but the the sense within the camp it, itself uh, Tony Gustafsson uh, uh, the players the, uh, the 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 coterie of of people that that make the whole machine run yeah look i i've been thinking this for a, a while and hoping that it's not just me being a glass half full person but i get the sense with this team that you know when you talk about big events things have to be going right of a team that is going to get to the pointy end and hopefully win the thing. And Olympians will tell you this feeling that they have where everything is going right and they just know. And I don't think the Matildas are letting themselves just know it, but I do think they feel as though it's there. It's within their reach. And you start hearing rumours swirling around about some of the other big teams, the big nations and the challenges that they're going through, the USA, the defending champions, you know, teams like England who have just done so incredibly well in Europe. Uh, You've got Spain, you've got Germany. There's a lot there. But you start hearing rumours and they're rumours that show there are cracks in these teams or they're not the team that they were six months, 12 months, four years ago. But with the Matildas, you just get this sense that they've been building bit by bit and that really challenging road that Tony Gustafson has put them on where he said, trust me, you're not going to like this journey because I'm not going to have you playing teams within the region that you can beat 6-0, 12-0, 18-0, everyone thinking you're fantastic. And then suddenly you come up against the might of the Europeans or the Americans and, and we're, you know, all over the place. Uh, I'm going to take you to the best teams now so that we can learn to play them. So by the time this rolls around, we're familiar, we know what it takes to win. And I just feel like they've been going up and up and up and they feel good and they're confident without being overconfident and they truly believe they can do it. But as we know with big time sport, you need a lot of luck as well. And so if luck plays its part, and certainly people who have been following the Matildas for a long time know that they're due some luck, you know, those games that can twist and turn on a nice edge. Um, let's just hope that here with the Home World Cup, this is when luck shines on them.
Tracy, this is the eighth FIFA World Cup that I will have worked at, and I know one thing, having experienced eight FIFA World Cups in the men, men's and women's game, is that the expectation and pressure that is on the home nation is something that uh, um, always dominates the landscape of a, of a FIFA World Cup. Um, I hear what you're saying, but are they ready, the team, um, the media people, uh, the coaching staff, uh, the whole organisation, are they ready to face down what's going to be an enormous build-up? Um, and as the as the event unfolds, the expectation and pressure is only going to get bigger. Yeah, look, I, you're right about that. And um, it's a very good point to make. And I think the thing with, with this group of Matildas is you get the sense, even when Sam Kerr was speaking at the press conference today, so Sam and, and Tony, as the coach and the captain, uh, held the press conference earlier today, and, you know, the questions that were being thrown their way. And, you know, Sam can be very flat. Uh, you can tell she doesn't like to give a lot away, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on through her mind. She was what I would describe as the happiest and bubbliest that I've ever seen Sam. And I think this, um, in talking to Tony Gustafson later, they've worked through these things. They've worked through the emotion and the emotional roller coaster that the media is going to be on, the general public is going to be on, their family members are going to be on, not to discount the own journey that they'll be on, but how they manage that. And it seems to me that they've been working really hard on, you know, just live in the moment. Let's do what we know how to do and what we've proven in the past you know, short while that we can do it and we can lift to these moments. Uh, let's play like that. So we can absorb whatever's happening on the outside when it's useful. We can ignore it when we don't need to hear it. Um, but we can play with each other as a unified group. And if something goes wrong on the field in a moment, forget that moment, move into the next moment. And I think they've been working very hard on this and it feels like it has come together. It's great news about Sam Kerr because at the end of the day, if Australia is to be successful in this tournament, Sam Kerr is going to be need to be one of, one of, if not the player of the tournament. She has in previous big events um, come under a little bit of criticism for not delivering uh, for Australia in comparatively how she does for Chelsea. Um, so it's interesting that you say she's in a happy and bubbly place. Uh, a lot's going to ride on the captain's shoulders. There's no question that we've seen in... In, in the men's game, it, it's equally the same. We, uh, we know that the likes of Messi and Ronaldo have carried teams through World Cups before. But let's get into the detail. The big headline news, Kaya Simon. Um, Tony Gustafsson has definitely rolled the dice. He selected her in ahead of Emily Gilnick, Larissa Crummer and Remy Simpson, the other strikers that would have been in contention for that. What are your thoughts on Kaya? Uh, was it spoken about at the press conference and um, just how big was that, uh, that call by Tony Gustafsson? Yeah, it's a big call. And the point he made in the press conference was that, you know, she is one of those players that just has, you know, the X factor. And that plays not just into the well-being of the team that she's in, but it plays into uh, the fear factor of the teams that they will be playing against. And you just never know. And she is one that does deliver on the big stage when she's not injured. So she's coming back from her um, surgery, from the uh, AFL, uh, ACL tear. 
um, I'm in Melbourne. I'm calling it the AFL, <laughs> uh, ACL tear. And, uh, you know, she's not right yet. But the point Tony made was we don't need her to be right yet. We need her to be right in four or five weeks when we get to the pointy end of the, the competition. Um, you know, when we need to call upon somebody that can do what she does in a moment, you know, bring her on in the second half when required to just flip what is happening on the park. And she brings that. And um, we managed to catch up with her for a very short chat while she was between other interviews. And she is feeling really confident. And I think she's taken confidence in the fact that Tony has given her that seal of approval, knowing she's not quite ready yet, but she will be. And I think all of these aspects um, and the things you talk about with Sam Kerr and how, you know, there's been criticism in the past that she hasn't always delivered when she should when playing for the national team or, you know, in the way that everybody expects her to, uh, she's not shouldering the entire burden. And I, I think she senses that, you know, there's a core group of very experienced players around her, but there's also a whole lot of newcomers that are bringing something new and a new dynamism. And, you know, they've been blooded throughout this lead up with Tony Gustafson. And it seems to me that they are such a solid group um, in a way that might not have existed in the past. And so Kaya Simon um, is one that, that just brings that strength of personality with her. Uh, she certainly does. And uh, what about the, the news that um, there's two of the selected Matildas are going to break a record, Claire Polkinghorne and Lydia Williams, their fifth World Cup? I mean, there was uh, headlines around the world with Marta uh, going to her sixth World Cup, but that is some achievement for uh, Claire and Lydia, who, um, to be fair, are going to have to play probably important roles. The squad's going to be needed through if we get to the final seven matches. So uh, just some thoughts on Claire Polkinghorne and Lydia Williams, the veterans of the group. Yeah, absolute veterans. And and again, what they bring is, you know, they've sort of been here, done that. They've, they've got all of that. And so for the young ones uh, in the squad, they, they really feed off that. They, they get strength from that. Uh, I asked Lydia if, you know, she thought she would be able to top Marta's record. <laughs> Basically, you know, she had a great big laugh and it's like, no, why would you? You know, there are other things that you can do in life. Um, five is probably going to be good enough and, and you can't get any better than playing in a home World Cup, which is something she never expected when her journey began 18 years ago. Um, Claire Polkinghorn is the same. You know, they're just, they're the, the rock solid backbone of the team, you know, whatever can happen in a game, they've seen happen. Uh, they know how to deal with these things. They just take it in their stride. Uh, and the rest of the team knows that. They know they can rely on them, you know, when, when the moment happens because they've been through it so many times before. Um, and so having that solid base and having that experience of, you know, don't let the World Cups daunt you, even though Every World Cup is different and no doubt none of them have ever experienced a home World Cup. So few people in the world ever do get that honour and privilege. Um, but they're using that to feed them in a really positive way rather than being daunted by it and rather than thinking, you know, oh my gosh, we have to perform for 25 million people or want us to win. They're not thinking that. They're not getting carried away. They are really taking this in a very um, methodical, matter-of-fact way. 
Uh, Tracy, the theme of the whole FIFA World Cup bid for from Football Australia has been legacy. Um, you saw a bit of that today. Can you just tell us about the home of the Matildas, a $65 million facility dedicated to football? Is it nice and clean and sparkly? Um, did it make an impression on you? And um, is that the type of legacy that we should be celebrating as a result of this World Cup? Oh, definitely. And I think it's you know fantastic that the Matildas have a home somewhere they can call home and for the up and coming, you know, the young Matildas uh, and the junior teams that will be coming through a world-class facility with everything that you need for, uh, you know, treatment and exercise and physio and feeling home away from home. And a number of the Matildas, even though it is still very shiny, it's like a brand new hospital that's opened. (laughs) So it will start to get a bit more personality as they occupy the rooms and the building um, as the days go on and well into the future beyond this World Cup. Uh, It's fantastic for them to have a facility like this. Um, And it makes a difference. You know, when you think about the teams that win a World Cup and any major event, it doesn't just have to be a Women's World Cup, but Men's World Cup or, or big time Olympics or World Championships, you know, mostly the people that win are the people that have had the most investment Put into them, and so we've always had, um, you know, glory that we kind of put onto the Matildas team, without them coming anywhere close to the sorts of investment that has been put into other women's national teams. So the US, for instance, or Germany, or you know, take a pick. There's a there's a handful, uh, and so. We are now starting to get to that mark and that makes all the difference because, and it's a terrible thing to say because, you know, we we always talk about the level playing field of sport. It doesn't exist, (laughs) unfortunately. And to match it with um, the big girls or the big boys, you have to have the same sort of investment. And so what that means is even just little things, like if you can have pointed with the team, somebody who is a family liaison officer. So instead of families phoning up their daughters and saying, listen, um, just wondering if we can get a couple of extra tickets because Uncle Bob and Auntie Millie are coming to town, be really great to get them there. And, you know, their head's spinning going, I just want to prepare for this game. I don't have time to start asking for extra tickets for the family. There's a contact person that all those family members can now go to to just take that little 1% of pressure off each of the players. I asked them about that and what was interesting is that they said, oh yeah, the US team, they have five family liaison officers. (laughs) And so that just gives you a kind of, you know, a, a good balancing act to see the difference that exists in some of these teams around the world. But credit to the government of Victoria, the federal government, um, Football Victoria, who have had the foresight to to invest in this, and Latrobe University, of course, and to say you know, we're going to make this happen. We're going to give them a home so that they can come here, uh, feel relaxed. They know that everything they need in a facility like this is given to them. Um, and it, as I say, it just takes another level of pressure off their shoulders so they can concentrate on what is most necessary. 
and finally, Tracy, before we let you go, the uh, you know the the physical structure of that legacy you've described, the um, the actual on the field legacy is is yet to be written. Uh, we saw what happened in England with the, the lionesses winning the Euros and and, and full houses uh, throughout the course of that event. Over a million tickets already sold for this event, uh, with with a lot of the the, the groundswell yet to to come from those general public that we we've described earlier on in this conversation um, is your sense that that this will be the the, uh, the breakthrough moment and that in in the coming season that we will um, actually see an immediate effect uh, within the the a-league women's competition and and a, and a mainstream discussion around women's football in the same way to the same level that we get with the uh, the Socceroos um, when when they uh, do great things as they they did in the recent Qatar World Cup I think yes and I think you know there, there's a big question mark over that and I do wonder sometimes whether the mainstream media in this country um, actually treats football fairly um, both in terms of how much coverage these teams get, like the Matildas and the Socceroos, um, the tone of some of that coverage, uh, and the fact that it competes against, you know, very big and very well-established domestic leagues like the AFL and the NRL. Uh, but I actually think the groundswell is happening regardless of the media doing its job fairly or not. And I know FIFA is very committed um, to seeing the numbers of women uh, grow. So it's the number one sport of choice, not just in this country, but in all of the Oceania nations as well. Uh, and that's a, a big component with New Zealand co-hosting. Uh, so they want to see globally their numbers grow from 30 million women playing the game to 60 million women playing the game. And their numbers look good. The trajectory is very good. Here in Australia, it's interesting how many people say, you know, does soccer fear uh, AFL and uh, AFLW, NRLW, um, you know, netball, basketball? I don't think so. I think what we're going to see after this World Cup is that all of those other leagues, as established as they are and as professional as they are, they are the ones that are going to have to start playing catch up. Because when we see the impact of this World Cup, not just for the Matildas team, but pretty much every team that is going to be playing here, and there's 32 nations all together, not just here, but in New Zealand as well. And there are people from all of those countries who will be there to cheer all of those nations. There is nothing like it. Um, you know what it's like to be at a World Cup. You know, there is nothing like that World Cup buzz. I don't care which sport you talk about. It cannot be replicated in this country because it is a world game. It's an international language. Anyone can kick a ball. They know what football is. It doesn't matter what language you physically speak. And it brings people together in such a unique way. And I think, as you said earlier, the legacy is yet to be written. But I think the legacy is going to be a very good, strong, positive one. Oh, Tracy, we, we do hope you're right. Uh, I know if my family WhatsApp chats anything to go by, I've got eight nieces uh, that range in age from nine to twenty five, and the only the only photos and video clips we see when it comes to sport are related to football. And my family is a family that that didn't play the game. 
we were rugby yeah. league people, we were cricket people, and uh, and now every <laughs> single one of my family, um, as an example of, of how things have changed in this country, uh, are, uh, are well and truly into it and excited about it and taking nieces uh, and nephews along to, to this World Cup. It's uh, it's going to be so exciting just to talk about a World Cup and uh, and have have it to be a, a high watermark for women's sport and the ongoing rise and rise of sport, women's sport in uh, uh, all around the world is, is a great thing. Trace, look, uh, we've been going on for a while. We hope to get the chance to talk to you during the course of the tournament, but really hope you enjoy it along the way. Uh, um, you know, uh, if there's one thing um, that uh, um, that a, uh, a sporting journalist loves is these special moments and um, and uh, and a World Cup doesn't get any, well, you know, alongside of the Olympics, it, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. Absolutely, you're dead right. And I just hope everybody in Australia uh, takes the time to enjoy this moment. And I know lots of people have been stopping me in all sorts of places and saying, oh, do you know what? I don't even like sport. I don't even follow sport. Mm-hmm. But gee, I love these Matildas. Yeah, <laughs> and right. so, you know, I, yeah, I just hope that, that it, it does spread, that infection, that love, that ability to hop on board, one of the biggest mm-hmm. moments in world sport. It'll be great. Excellent. And Trace, if anyone wants to uh, to hear a little bit more in-depth discussion, they need to listen to your podcast. You've been in a great feature on uh, on the Women's World Cup, the, the build-up, and, uh, and and a really great chat with Hayley Russo uh, uh, about the team's relationship uh, and their trust with Tony Gustafsson on the journey they're on. So uh, get down to your phone or get on to your most, uh, uh, your preferred podcast uh, catcher and uh, and have a listen to the ticket. Trace, thanks again. We'll uh, We'll talk to you again real soon. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Tracy Holmes from the ABC. Okay, after the break, we're going to head back to Scotland. Uh, Ange Postacoglu's out the door. Marco Tilio is arriving, and uh, the baton has been handed to him from Aaron Moy. We're going to talk all about the Australian influence at Celtic and more, Celtic more broadly. Where are, are they going from here after the break on Box to Box? Well, 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 everybody's going to buy Hoyt spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt spices. Yeah. Whoa, it's a big shout out to my good mate, Johnny Accardo. He's uh, just met him today for a coffee out at the Moorabbin factory. And uh, he said, yes, I'm staying on board the Hoyts camp box to box juggernaut for another 12 months. So uh, thank you to my good mate, Johnny, uh, uh, who just like I do, loves cooking and he loves eating. And uh, Willem, you love a good meatball, don't you? I do, Rob. It's middle of winter, it's eating season, and I'll admit I'm starting to pack on, but when everything tastes as good as it does when it's doused in the oil herbs and spices, I just can't help myself. So what's going on the meatballs this week? Okay, so you need to have some couscous, nice and easy. You just pour it in a bowl, put the hot water on it. So that's the easiest thing. I mean, it's easier than absolutely uh, anything there is in, in the kitchen, uh, uh, sort of comparable to boiling an egg or putting toast on. So couscous is easier. And you want to get a half a kilo of minced chicken, a medium onion, a couple of garlic cloves. You want to crush the garlic and the chopped onion in some oil, uh, olive oil preferably. And then, Derek, how about this? This is a combination I know you'll love. A couple of teaspoons of curry powder, a couple of teaspoons of cumin, a tablespoon of your favourite. What is it? Well, I don't know. Lots of different things I put in there, Rob. You always talk about garam masala. Oh, right. Okay. I I was busy thinking about the cumin and it made me start thinking about the ashes again, Rob. (laughs) uh, Okay, I'm getting post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, oh, I'm sure you do. Well, we'll talk about that in the, in the Ashes edition of the show. Paprika and cayenne pepper, about a half a teaspoon each. Some fresh coriander, 
a beaten egg, breadcrumbs, and olive oil. So if you didn't listen carefully enough, just rewind all those ingredients, make your meatballs, fry them off in uh, in uh, some olive oil, and then what you want to do is put them on top of your couscous with any of the leftover flavours that are in the fry pan. You will absolutely love it, guys. You'll cook that, wouldn't you, William? Oh, I'd cook that up for sure, 100%. Excellent. And uh, remember, uh, if you've got some empty spice jars or any jars for that matter, just clean them, dry them. Very important to dry your jars if you're going to uh, refill them with the Hoyts value packs. You will be happy with Hoyts. Get them from Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyts Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. We set off the top of the show. Can you believe it's less than 40 days till the moment of truth arrives for Australia's first ever Premier League manager? But as we all know, he made his name in Europe at uh, the great Glaswegian club Celtic. And the man who we've talked to many times uh, over the past season is, of course, Kieran Devlin, formerly now of The Athletic, now freelancing. And uh, we welcome Kieran back to the show. How are you, mate? I'm grand. I'm grand. Thanks for having me back. Delighted we can uh, keep doing this post my time at Athletic and post Ange, which is the uh, obviously the big significant news. And uh, yeah, looking forward to diving in. Yeah, and of course, there's a, a few other stories. We'll sort of get our heads around the departure of Aaron Moy, of course, Marco Tilio arriving. But I mean, I mentioned Ange off the top. Of, of course, he's uh, the, the the football man on everybody's lips on this side of the world. But uh, we uh, we've been fascinated watching the way that his story has evolved uh, since he first arrived at Parkhead and uh, and, and now he's got the uh, the contract that um, that's taken him to the Premier League. But tell us, from an Australian point of view, um, were you expecting this to happen as quickly as it did? I don't think so. No, I think, I think in a lot of people's minds, and this could have just been naivety or <laughs> uh, blind optimism, but I think a lot of fans were... We had this idea that it was going to be a three-year cycle um, I think there was a lot of expectation that he was going to go eventually. He's an incredibly ambitious, incredibly talented guy who obviously wants to represent himself, Australian football, even Asian football at large, and try and present, get the credibility that is due. So I think um, we always knew this was this was never going to be. He was never going to be there for five, six seasons. Um, but I think there was a lot of hope that because the team was quite complete. Um, you know, is I think there was a lot of feeling that we were just two, three, four key signings away from being somebody that can maybe turn some decent performances but disappointing results in the Champions League into some good results. Now, whether that would be getting to the last 16 in the Champions League, finishing third and going deep in the Europa League, but I did feel like we had the players and the manager and the setup to potentially do something quite interesting in Europe. Now, I don't think that... You know, given the resources, I don't think that's equating to winning the Champions League or even winning the Europa League, but doing something a bit, you know, doing something exciting, getting to the semi-final of the Europa League, something like that. And I think it was just maybe there was just a disappointment that that didn't happen. No, I think there's there was a mixture of feelings with with Ange, Ange going, and I think maybe it's it's been a few weeks and we can reflect, uh, well, from a Celtic perspective, to reflect a bit more rationally on it because <laughs> understandably well I think there's maybe a bit of bitterness about about um, him leaving a bit of disappointment as you know there's a lot of emotional investment everybody loved Ange so I think I think it was quite inevitable that there was going to be a bit uh, upset at him leaving but I think if you're reflecting on it now you know the he reportedly turned down 
um, Wolves, Southampton, I think Brighton as well during the season. So it wasn't that, you know, he. I think there was some very misreporting and some maybe raw fans who felt that he jumped at the first chance to get to England, but that wasn't the case. He, you know, Spurs are a top six club. They have arguably the best modern stadium in the world. They have one of the best training facilities in the world. They have a group of world-class players and the resources to do something incredible in Europe and then the you know the biggest league in the world so i think it's you know as as upset as a lot of celtic fans were and us still are i do think if you're thinking about it rationally it was too good an opportunity to turn down especially someone of angie's ambitions as i say to really prove himself and prove what people from australian and asian football backgrounds can do on the biggest stage so I suppose it begs the obvious question, do you think he's ready? I mean, it's a big step up. Um, the uh, Scottish Premiership is um, notoriously won uh, by the two great Glasgow clubs and, um, you know, a lot of competition from, from the, the, the next tier down, but uh, very rarely do we see that the, uh, the teams below Celtic and Rangers actually threatening for the title. Uh, do you feel that... Um, with the, the squad that he looks like he's inherited. Uh, Harry Kane doesn't look like he's leaving. Um, there seems to be some, some good signings uh, coming in. Uh, uh, Daniel Levy, he always talks a big game when it comes to, to supporting a manager. Uh, your thoughts on, on whether he's ready to go? I think so. I think but he's, he's going to be as ready as he's, he's ever going to be. You know, he's in his late 50s now. This what. This was potentially a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, given the and and specialises in these sorts of cases. You know, you flash back two years ago, and Celtic were in a complete mess. They they they'd lost their four biggest uh, assets and players. Their squad was so mis- imbalanced, it was so mismanaged, and he completely turned it around. It, it is, there, it's not an identical situation at Spurs, but it's very very similar. And it's also here with his charisma, with his eloquence. Uh, and with his passion, he's somebody that galvanised the Celtic support very, very quickly. And he's, he seems to be already doing that for large swathes of the, the Spurs support and the Spurs players. You know, reports from uh, my former employers at Athletic is that the players are already starting to get bored very quickly, as what happened with Celtic, as, in, as what happened with Marinos and in and, and Australia as well. You know, he's just He just has that that. X factor to, to get people on board, to get buy-in from the people who matters. Now, whether that translates into performances or results, I think we can only speculate, but I think the early signs are promising. And I do believe he has what it takes. You know, I think obviously Celtic have all this this dominance. Um, but you look at some what he did with Marinos, who were traditionally mid-table at best team in, in Japan, and the way he... He got them to win a league title. We would never, you know, there's incredible accomplishments with the, the Aussie national team, and then with uh, Barcelona and everything. He's had incredible success wherever he's been, and there was, I think, there was a degree of skepticism at Celtic. There was a degree, now a degree of skepticism at Spurs. But every challenge he's faced, and he's faced a lot of uh, condescension, a lot of criticism a lot of people being patronising about his achievements to date and he's put them emphatically wrong. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does at Spurs. Now, I've, the, the initial few weeks of hurt have uh, subsided. I'm really excited and fascinated by see what he, do, he does this season. Yeah, one of the things he'll it'll be new to him, Kieran's going to be his transfer budget. He's just spent a, a cool £40 million on, on on James Madison and in Premier League terms, particularly the money that's flying around in the transfer window at the moment that is relatively small change it's still a pretty big signing but um you know uh, Celtic with more 
modest transfer targets. Uh, one thing we should talk about is Marco uh, Tilio. He's come from Melbourne City. He's a player that that we that we know well. But of, of course, was that a deal that was already in the pipeline because of the Australian connection with uh, with Ange? Um, and what's been the response to that signing? Yeah, it was already in the pipeline, and uh, as was another uh, Norwegian sort of young wonder kid that we signed as well, um, Odin Holm. Um, I think, but the, just a, a very quick digression. I think it's been quite interesting that Brendan Rogers coming in. He's been very happy with this, the transfer recruitment setup that Ange initiated with um, his former colleague at City Football Group, um, Mark Lowell, who is still identifying these targets in South Korea, in Japan and in Australia. Um, I think that's, um, that's the one thing that we're really trying to keep on is realising that, you know, leagues like the A-League have incredible talents and we shouldn't turn our nose up at them. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, that's there's a lot of excitement about Tilio. Um, I think he's one of those players that the average fan is, isn't expecting to, I think it might, they're expecting it to be a bit of an adaptation period, maybe a season of a transition season as he adapts to life. But judging from what I've read by quite a few uh, Australian writers, by, by scouts who've closely analysed this game, and just by watching a load of videos of him, this, this, this guy looks really, really talented. I don't know if you, if what you guys are, your thoughts on him are, but like technically he looks excellent and he, he looks like he's got a really good work rate. He has, the, yeah, I know he's not, the, he's not the tallest, but he look has a, a physicality, a stockiness to his game that I think will suit the physicality of of um, Scottish football well. And I, I'm quite optimistic that he will be playing a lot more minutes and be contributing a lot more significantly than the average Celtic fan might expect. Um, I'm, I Personally, it's an ex- signing I'm really, really excited about. And as, as you know, it's, it's also with, it means that with Adam Moy retiring pretty much the same day, I think it was actually the same day, um, it means that Celtic will have continue their trend of having over 10 years of having an Australian on the books uh, ever since Tommy Rogic joined uh, back in the December 2012. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really exciting signing and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing him play. You mentioned Rogers before and some of his, uh, some of his early challenges in his inbox. And one of those looks like it's going to be not just signing players like Telio, of course, but keeping players as well. As well. There have been some rumours with Ange going across to Spurs that maybe he will return to his former club and pick up a couple of bargains from, from some of the players he, he had there. And then, of course, this news around Jota, who, of course, is a is a very significant player um, and another one another one where there's potentially the, uh, the, the Saudi Arabian money and, and what they're doing to the game that's going to uh, turn his head. Uh, Al Itihad apparently uh, agreed personal terms with him. You might know more than us, but how much of Brendan Rodgers' job is it going to be about trying to keep this squad together, not not necessarily add to the squad? It's, it's going to be significant. And I think if we're looking from an optimistic perspective, the fact that it's looking like a £25 million fee for Jota, which I don't think would be money that we could ask even of Spurs, or if Van was to return for Jota, and I think Jota is maybe one of the few. As much as I love this team, I do think there's probably only a select few that could um, step up to a top six um, Premier League side, even as a even as a squad player. Uh, as much as I, I love them, if we're being completely uh, rational, but 
Um, I think that level of fee and the healthiness, the financial health that the club is in with another year of Champions League football, it looks like um, that one of their former players, Jeremy Frimpong at Bayer Leverkusen, who they have a 30% sell-on fee, um, is going is going to be sold this season um, for potentially a fifty million plus, which would obviously be a, another massive cash injection. So I do think the fact that puts Rogers in a good position, where it, say if Spurs or Brighton were to come in for Rio Hatate, and I think Hatate and Fura, Kyogo Furuhashi are the two potentially that would clubs in England and abroad would want to spend big on, and arguably. The three of them and Cameron Carter-Vickers are Celtics, the four most important players, I'd argue. Um, if you can keep those other three and just say, not this summer, we want to do something in Europe, and you can pitch it to the players quite smartly, and Rogers will because he's a very gifted coach, he's a very good people person and man manager. Um, I think, yeah, I think it will be interesting to, to, to see. And as you say, like, if you lose Jota, it's it's a shame, you know, especially at that age going to Saudi Arabia. But you can replace him if you invest well. And it does look, there are rumours this morning that Celtic are going to break their transfer record for um, there's a, a 21-year-old in Switzerland at the, the centre mids that they are looking to, to buy. And, you know, it is quite exciting that they are going to invest heavily in this new era of Rodgers with building on the very solid foundations that Adams built. Um, but if you were to lose Jota, Hatate and Kyogo this summer, that's very tough to maintain any sort of momentum. You know, that it's very even if you have this the best recruitment, if you have the smartest scouts, it's really tough to replace the level of influence and quality and uh big game contributions that all three of those guys have made uh over the last two years. So as you, as you say, this will be a big challenge for Rogers, but I think they're quite the club seem well, I don't chat to all my old contacts too regularly, but when I do, these the club seems quietly confident that the level of outlay that we'll get for Jota should make sure that they don't have to be... It would take very silly money, basically, for them to tempt uh, Kyoko or Hatate or Cameron Carter-Vickers away from them. Kieran, I just want to take you back to, to Aaron Moy momentarily. You, you did, of course, uh, mention Marco Tilio and, and that signing, if, if he does come through, uh, having broken the Australian out, outbound Australian transfer record, um, is is going to be what we all hope, um, as much as, as any supporter of Celtic hopes, is going to be a successful one. But Aaron Moy only played uh, 29 games uh, in the uh, the Green and White Hoops, but he did bookend his career in Scotland, started with St Mirren uh, back in 2010 uh, on a transfer from, from Bolton and, uh, and had a, a a long stretch in the A League, but the the pinnacle for him was uh, was at time at Huddersfield and uh, and Brighton and Hove Albion in the Premier League. But uh, how how would you remember him uh, in this uh, this Postecoglou era and his contributions to, to Celtic uh, as a, a player that will go down as one of the greats of uh, of the Australian national side? I think very positively. Um, you know, I think he came. It just it was a signing that just worked. It was a free transfer. Obviously, at that time. I think Moy was looking just for regular game time in the build-up to the, the World Cup last season. Um, and obviously his good relationship with Ange just meant that he didn't quite hit his heights in the first half of the season. But after the World Cup, um, before his injury, I think in March it was, um, he had like two and a half, three months where he was contributing brilliantly. You know, he was he was contributing goals and assists and he kept... Um, I think that one of the 
uh, one of this uh, a Celtic fan quote I liked was in a team he was the calm in the storm of when Apostolos team of just rampant uh, pressing and just very ambitious passing. He was the guy who maybe kept things ticking in a more controlled sense. And he just get you know, and Celtic played some brilliant football when he was he was playing alongside the likes of uh, Hatati and McGregor in midfield. So I think he'll be remembered very positively, especially in his contributions to a triple winning season under Ange. And I think I know there, it seems there's a bit of romance that he you know wins everything he can in Scotland. That he he was a big contributor at a key point in the season, and then he he retires. Obviously, you know, it's, it's a shame that it was enforced by by injury. Rather, rather than well, we can only speculate whether it was something he might have done anyway. But yeah, I think it's it's hard it's, it's hard to bow on a on a, a higher note um, mm. for for a player than doing it under a, ma- a manager you love, winning key silverware, and being part of a team that played truly entertaining football. No, couldn't have been said better, mate. He um, he's as highly regarded uh, in this country uh, for for his career, not only for Australia and some of the great things he did for Australia during World Cup campaigns, but uh, uh, but his career both abroad and uh, and domestically in the A League. And uh, at a thirty two, um, we all did hope that that he had a few more seasons left in him. But um, but his uh, uh, his career really doesn't need that to be franked as uh, as a quality one, mate. So great to know that uh, he'll be remembered uh, with that kind of fond. Us, uh, at, uh, at Celtic Park, mate. So, hey, Kieran, we could go on and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon, obviously, with Marco Tilio there now. Uh, we'll be watching uh, with interest uh, how Celtic go um, and uh, and hope we can get a chance to chat to you again uh, in the not-too-far-distant future, mate. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on and uh, looking forward to it when uh, Tilio is bagged 30 goals and 20 assists uh, <laughs> by, by December. I love that, mate. My dad went to the same school as he did, and my, some of my good mates' uh, um, sons actually played with Marco as well. So uh, we've got a real personal interest in, in him, as long as along with the fact that he's he's from Australia too, mate. So thanks again, Kieran. We'll we'll be watching as uh, as as eagerly as you will, mate. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Kieran Devlin, formerly of The Athletic, now he's freelancing, but uh, he is an absolute expert on what's going on uh, in uh, in Scottish football and uh, and, a, and a great insight into the departure of Ange, the the legacy of Ange, of course, um, the arrival of Marco Tillier, departure of Aaron Moy, and of course the new era at Celtic under Brendan Rodgers. Okay, stick around. The, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, is less than two weeks away, and we're going to talk about it again after the break on Box to Box. Gentlemen, when you hear that sound... You know, it's time for Chemist Warehouse. It's better that I think if Edge was on the show uh, uh, as we speak. I know he's on this week and he's coming back home, but uh, he, he might even think it's better than the World Cup theme. Uh, save 35% off Microgenics and Wagner. Wagner? Wagner. It's vitamins right now at Chemist Warehouse, Willem. That's a good saving. That's a great saving. I tell you what, Rob, I just haven't been able to stay hydrated either at the minute through these winter months. I don't know what it is, but I've been on the Voost tablets, which you can get for Chemist nice. Warehouse. I think they're $10.99. Very tasty for something so mm. good for you as well. Yeah, no, that's good. Good energy uh, out of those Voost um, tablets. Uh, make sure you get a hold of those. But uh, Super Bio Magnesium Wagner, 100 tablets for $9.09. If you need to relax those muscles after you've been uh, uh, winning another best on ground at the the Hillsville uh, uh, indoor football, Derek, a um, bit of magnesium for you? A little bit of magnesium for me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not as limber as I used to be, Rob. So, mm. yeah, I'll be down to get my... Wagner straight off 
Excellent work. That might have been D3, 1,000 international units, 250 capsules for $9.74. That is a deal. Microgenics Zinc Complete. I know I've talked about this before, but if there's anyone in your family who's struggling with taste and smell once they've had a, a bout of, uh, of long COVID or even just regulation COVID, it's a common thing. Zinc will help you to bring that back. 120 capsules for $11.04. And Microgenics Krill Oil, always good. The great fish oil, 1,000 milligrams, 60 capsules for $18. 84 60 capsules that'll last you two months for nearly just under 20 bucks excludes the bulk sizes chemist warehouse the great savings are every single day box to box can you believe it for chemist warehouse great savings every day and hoyt's herbs and spices changing the mood of food and this could be the most crucial goal of all this is Box to Box. Great chatting with Kieran Devlin just there. I know it's all World Cup talk at the moment, but uh, it's going to be uh, uh, on us uh, very, very soon, this uh, the next season of European football. And uh, it's great to chat to Kieran about uh, just where the Aussies all lie within it. But Willem, in a week where too much World Cup is barely enough, uh, what are you going to lead us off on in, uh, in World Cup corner uh, this week? Rob, you've been a keen observer of the Lionesses over the past couple of years in particular. They've drawn blanks in their final pre-cup World Cup outing. Nil all with Portugal. Uh, Serena Wiegmann has come in for a bit of criticism uh, after selecting Aston Villa striker Rachel Daly instead of the usual number nine, Alessio Russo. Uh, we know Russo was the impact sub behind Ellen White during the uh, successful Euros last year, but she hasn't quite been able to bed down the uh, starting spot, so they're still shuffling the decks uh, only a couple of days before they head out here to Australia. Uh, White being retired, uh, of course. So their first game is against Haiti uh, on Suncorp Stadium. They're not getting the speed wobbles, are they, Rob? Yeah, I want to expand on this a little in stoppage time, but um, but but they had thirty matches unbeaten, um, and and Vigman, everything she touched turned to gold. They they famously, obviously, as we know, won the the twenty twenty Euros. She didn't change that squad uh, hardly at all. The starting lineup was always the same, and and that same uh, attack, attacking sort of uh, thrust came uh, from the bench uh, with monotonous regularity but uh, the the BBC described that match against the, the number 21 ranked Portugal right so uh, we're not talking you know the the best of the best here we're talking about a quality side but uh, um, a, a flat uh, lacked fluidity in goals um, and still plenty of decisions for Wiegmann. Uh, so, uh, Derek, it's going to be interesting to see if, if um, she can manage to pull it together because Wiegmann seems uh, in her most recent history, both um, with uh, the uh, the English and the Dutch women's side, uh, to, to have had it all her own way, it appears that, but, uh, but not um, leading into this World Cup. Yeah, I, I think there's plenty for her to be thinking about those players that she's missing you know they're not just fringe players they're the captain uh, and certainly you know very you know tear those standard of players out of any squad and I think that they would have some uh, challenges readjusting but but it's a very competitive you know environment now women's football and um, you know England kind of reached the peak in in their last tournament and then to to go on again obviously expectations are really high but well, we this saw what happened team. with Italy, didn't we? They didn't even make it to the World Cup after they won the Yeah, games. well, they, and this is a team sort of in transition. There's plenty of new faces in the squad as well. But I think what we know about Serena Wiegmann is she's a big tournament coach. She knows that she's got the reputation. Um, so, look, England will still remain amongst the favourites for this tournament. There's no doubt about it. 
One for you, Derek. Moving on to Italy, their manager is Melina Bertolini, and she has pulled some surprises at the selection table. She's left out her 34-year-old captain, uh, Sarah Gama, and sometimes when you know senior players are left out, there might be a bit of you know, uh, protective messaging might be a bit of an injury or you might, you know, do your best to make sure that it's done with a degree of grace. But how's this for a triple backhander on the way out? She's been left out for technical, tactical and physical factors. That's not very nice. Uh, and instead, she's fast-tracked 16-year-old Julia Dragoni, the dragon, uh, straight in after she made her debut in the uh, nil-all draw with Morocco uh, in their final game. So technical, tactical and physical. Yeah, it doesn't sound great, does it? I'm, I'm trying to think of comparisons. I'm sure there was a female cricketer for South Africa who was dropped basically for, for her weight. And then I was thinking about Steve Finn in the Ashes, who was unselectable, which is probably one of the worst things I've ever heard um, anyone be described in professional sports. So, yeah, I do feel do feel slightly sorry for the uh, for the lady in question. And, uh, yeah, I hope, hope, hope she's all right. Edge, can't believe you've gotten to the very pointy end of the show without bursting into excitement over this one, the most important part of a World Cup campaign. You said you've worked at eight Women's World Cups and multiple men's ones as well, and your favourite part of the whole shebang is the song. Now, whatever we heard last week, that wasn't the official song. That was the official theme. This now, though, is business time. This is Do It Again by Beni, featuring a magnificent contribution from Mulrad as well. What do you think? Not happy. Not happy? <laughs> no, no, I'm not happy. We well, compare it to Shakira doing the, you know, the waka waka thing waka in waka. Uh, South, South Africa, Pitbull and J Lo in Brazil. Um, Ricky Martin, '98. Yeah, yeah, Ricky Martin, '98. Um, I mean, they are iconic songs that help sort of um, frame the the whole sort of atmosphere and um, you know movement behind the World Cup, and we get served this. I mean, the 22, 2022 Qatar songs were good. They actually put an enormous effort into it, obviously, with uh, artists that we're not familiar with because of the Arabic nature of that event. But it was they were fantastic songs and you got a serious amount of enjoyment uh, behind uh, exploring all of the songs. But this one's a shocker, Willem, isn't it? Don't disagree, Rob. What's wrong with that edge? I think you're a bit behind the times. You get two young daughters. It's got a nice little beat to it. No, I, I, asked that. I asked them. They're 22 and 19. I asked them to uh, have a listen to that, and they agreed with my technical assessment of the quality of the song. Technical assessment. What do you think? Yeah, Molly Meldrum. Do yourself a favour, Edge. Listen to it again. And, no, uh, I'm going to give it another go a couple of times, but it, it didn't grab me like Shakira or Pitbull or J-Lo. Nah. Uh, it just, you know, it didn't grab me like them. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, but they're picking the cup of life, mate. Ricky Martin, that uh, was one of the well, great I mean, songs. Why couldn't we have, why couldn't, why couldn't we have uh, Taylor Swift or, hmm? you know, some contemporary superstar? Give yeah, us something. Well. FIFA, open your wallet, FIFA. Pay a bit of money. Did you know? right. well, I, don't, yeah, I don't know that that's sort of quite Derek's taste. Um, he does have a bit more of a... Uh, how would you describe your, your musical interest, Derek? Oh, I'd say very broad and open-minded. Rob, uh, anything from metal on the one side of the genre over to dance on the other side and some rock and roll in the middle. But it doesn't sound very iconic, that one, does it? I think I tend to lean with Edge. Like, it sounds like the sort of thing that you might hear on Triple J. Um, but whether it's an iconic song, I mean, time will tell. I mean, I, um, you know, before every tournament, I'm not really that bothered by what the song is. But then by the end, you kind of get quite sentimental about it. And, 
by the time they get to the kind of montage of the tournament with the song, you kind of wish that you could hear it, hear it all over again. Exactly. But yeah, right. oh, but, but, but opening opening listen on first listen, can't say um, it, it feels like a banger. It's no Nessam Dorma. Adam, can you bring us out with it, mate? Um, as we as we, we we wrap up the show, come on, Edge. I want you to. I want. I want to see you dancing. Mate. I want to see you post on your TikTok account. I want to see Edge's Insta. Oh, we well, you need to get one. Thanks, mate. You're going to take a break. I do not need to get one of those. You'll be back home by the time we talk to you next week. We've got a very special guest next week, don't we? Yeah, we do have a special guest next week, so um, we won't reveal that. We'll reveal that in the show next week for Offside. Obviously, okay. okay, all right. An Offside uh, guest next week. A special Women's World Cup edition of Offside. Yeah. Excellent. All right, well, well done, mate. We'll see you when you get home. And Willem, thank you, mate. Nice to done, Thank you. That's, and Derek, well done to you as well, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be talking about football. Absolutely it is. And Adam Maloney, our great mate, uh, making it sound as good as it can be and uh, bringing us home with the World Cup theme. Please, if you're enjoying the show and uh, and you really want to just dial up the, the tempo, I know I always love listening to as many podcasts as I can whenever there's a big event, the Euros, the World Cups, whatever. Uh, make sure that uh, you share uh, ours with uh, uh, your, your football network. Um, subscribe yourself if you haven't already done so to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside. We're putting a, uh, an extra uh, special World Cup edition out next week, as we already mentioned. Wherever you get your podcast, tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter and make sure you like us on Facebook. Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.